All right. All right. Yeah, good. It's getting a bit cooler now, isn't it? Which is nice. Um, okay, so again, just trying to follow the leading of the Spirit in the in the uh, in the meeting. So I'm going to compile all these scriptures, some of the ones that have been mentioned, and a few others as well. So if you turn with me to John 16, and uh, we're going to look at verses 23 to 24. You know, John 17 is always the big one that everyone goes to, but John 16 has got some pretty cool stuff in it too. And so is the page before that, and the page before that, and the page before that. <laughs> so this is Jesus talking to his disciples. This is after they've had uh, the Passover meal, so there's quite a lot of conversation that's gone on, and John records it more so than any of the other Gospels. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's several chapters there where he's just talking to them and, and explaining various things. You know, I am the vine, all this kind of stuff. And then he goes on to chapter 17, which is the really famous prayer. So all of this was said um, after the, the actual Passover. Uh, the verse I want to focus on today is verses 23 to 24. It says, on that day, it says, you will not ask me anything further. Amen, amen. I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name... He will give it to you. Until now, in my name, you have not asked for anything. Ask and you will receive, so that my joy may be complete. Now, there's quite a few things that are going on here. So it would appear that up until that time, they were asking Jesus for things personally, directly. I don't know what they were doing. Um, we don't get an idea of what that was. But he does say, you will, ask, you will not ask me anything further. Uh, amen, amen. I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. So until now, in my name, you've not asked for anything. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. So something has changed here, something quite dramatic, something quite key has happened. Now, one of the things that we need to be mindful of, what has actually transpired since the cup of the communion, let's call it that, I know it's Passover, just for the sake of argument, the Passover and what Jesus just said here. Has anything dramatic just taken place that's changed everything? Okay, something really big went down that most of us just don't even give a thought about. And uh, it's so dramatic and so massive that it amazes me we just, we just glance over it. Anyone knows what happened between like maybe an hour ago previous and this verse here where everything's now changed and he's now saying, now you can pray in my name, it's directly to my father. Anybody know? Class, anyone? Bueller, no? Okay, no one's... No, no, it's something, okay. Basically, when Jesus was serving um, the Passover wine and, and, the, and the, the cedar and he was passing the meal and, the, and stuff, he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. Some, now, so something has quite dramatically just changed. See, at Jeremiah 31, 31, the, uh, you know, Jeremiah prophesied to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. So it's a specific Israel prophecy. He says, you know, behold, I'll write, uh, I'll give, make a new covenant, not like the one I made with your forefathers. And basically it goes on to say that he'll write his Torah on our hearts and on our minds. Something has changed. And so at this evening, Jesus says, hi, guys, this is the cup of the new covenant. Now, I don't quite know what the disciples did at that moment. 
whether they probably realized the full ramifications of what was going on here. But at that moment, everything has now changed. Something has changed. Well, not everything, but things have changed. So Jesus is now saying, you can now ask the Father in the name of Jesus now, and it will be done for you. But he never said this before the Passover, before the new covenant. Okay, so something has changed because obviously that has to be because Jesus is now the manifestation of the Father in bodily form, which we never had a revelation of before. Okay, Jesus is the exact, um, it says in, in Hebrews, the exact reflection of his glory. I love that picture. You, you ever get uh, one of these annoying people like, like to annoy people with sunlight? reflecting on stuff i know some of you he's like see i seem like my kids do it like i'm trying to talk and there's something going in my eye my kids like there with his little eh, eh, trying to get the sunlight in my eye but the thing is jesus is the exact reflection of the father's glory so if you see jesus he is literally the father's glory is hitting him and it's bouncing straight out to you and me so if you're seeing jesus you're seeing the glory of the father you know, and as you get a, a big mirror and you reflect the sun, that mirror is reflecting the sunlight, at least should be if it's a good mirror, almost to the same degree of light that was, was coming from the original source. It's powerful. And Jesus is the exact reflection of his father's glory. And something has now changed. Earlier on today, I preached about the mystery of God, where how God was looking for a wife for his son. And I went through all of that throughout the history and the whole fall of man and how Jesus became as man, how that the Trinity that had always been a certain way now upon part of that Trinity took on human flesh. Which is, a, which is just outlandish, if you think about it. And then Jesus came down here, became like us, so that we can become like him, so that we can become one with him, as it says in John 17. And at the consummation of the age, when we have the wedding feast of the Lamb, we shall be one with Christ. And so here, something remarkable has just changed. And so Jesus is now shifting the gears now, saying, says, you'll not ask me for anything further. Amen, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. And it's interesting, isn't it, how Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Our Father. So all along, you know, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So all along, he's trying to give them a greater revelation. Now, for the Jewish people, they always knew that, I guess they always kind of the concept of God as Father. And so, but Jesus made it more real and more deeper and more profound. Because saying, guys, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So how I've been kind and loving and I, how I have served you and washed your feet, that's as though the Father had done it to you. Isn't that amazing that Jesus said, I'll only do that which I, I hear and see the Father doing. So when he washed his disciples' feet, that was the Father washing their feet. Now that really starts to... When you think about that, it's like, you know, it's one, we can cope with the sun washing our feet, but can we actually cope with the fact that the Father, who is manifest through his Son, I mean, Jesus is fully God and he is fully man, he is fully himself, but everything he did is because the Father told him to do it. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he's revealing the Father in everything. And so now something has changed. Now he's saying, guys, now you can ask the Father directly in my name, and it will be done for you. So you said before that the um, Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 32, um, verses 31 to 34 come into play. Yes, yeah, well, I suppose so. Well, what, which verses do you mean? Um, 31, 
And the time's coming in Turkey all the time. Oh, yeah, Jeremiah 31, yeah. Uh, where are we? Let's just read it. The days are coming, surely, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant. Now, um, there are some Hebrew Roots Bibles, I'm just going to put this out there, that say renewed covenant there. Sorry? No? And the, but the reason why we know that it's not renewed, A, because the Hebrew, it, it implies that it's the possible root could be renewed, but it actually means new. So then what does the Greek Old Testament say? Now, the Greek Old Testament can use different words. To imply now the Greek Old Testament is a better not better than the Hebrew but what it can do is it enables us to interpret difficult to interpret passages in the Hebrew so the Greek without the Greek uh, a lot of scholars would be lost so it's a really important translation now in the Greek version of the Old Testament where it says a new covenant it doesn't use the word renewed it used the word new and the word there for new is the same as a new wineskin so it can't be a renewed one because if it's a new wineskin that's been renewed it will burst it has to be a brand new one. So this is something that is fresh and something is new. Also, the Greek where Jesus says this is the cup of the new covenant, again, it's the same Greek word, referring to the same Greek word that's listed here in the Old Testament, which is a transliteration from the Hebrew into the Greek. So we get an idea that it is actually a new covenant, not a renewed covenant. Another reason why we know it's not renewed is because he says it will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand. So something has changed. So that's kind of reading on. But this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my Torah within them and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another say, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. So we can see, uh, as thing he points out, Brian pointed out, something changes. When that new covenant comes about, something will change. Suddenly the Torah has gone from an external uh, set of rules written on stone, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. It's now etched on our hearts. Um, no longer do we need to teach one another or say to one another, know the Lord, because now we can all know God. John 17, 3 says eternal life is knowing God. Every one of us can now know God in a way that you probably couldn't know God before the new covenant. I know some people might take, take uh, you know, we could, we could conjecture about that, but it's clear that something has changed. We know even the fact when Jesus died on the cross and the veil was torn in the temple, something has changed. We know from the book of Hebrews that the Torah was changed because Jesus, how can he be a high priest? Because according to uh, the Torah of Moses, he says that the, the high priest is the order of Levi. And only Aaron can be the high priest and all the sons of Aaron, of Cohen. So they only, only they can be the high priest. So, so what has changed? And, and uh, the writer of Hebrews says the Torah had to be amended and changed so that Jesus can become the high priest of the order of Melchizedek, of a better order, of a better sacrificial system. Okay, Because obviously he is the ultimate sacrifice. And so that, ver that chapter, ch opening verses of chapter 10 in Hebrews, where it says, um, the law is a shadow and type of the things to come, but not the reality themselves. The context is actually about the sacrificial system, uh, only that specific section. So Jesus came and he fulfilled that and he become a high priest. Why am I saying all this? Because this is what I'm trying to get to next, is that Jesus's ministry has also changed in respect to this part also we think. 
So if you now turn to Hebrews 8. Oh, this is, I love, I love the book of Hebrews. It's so good. Um, All right, wife's looking at me. It's always dangerous when she looks at you. She looks at you, be careful. All right, so the main point of what we've been saying is this. We have such a high priest that he has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and he is a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle established by the Lord and not by human beings. I'll tell you, there's such amazing revelations here. Like angels, right? Most people think angels, well, most of us don't really know what angels do all day, do we? It's like angels, I don't know what they do. They sit upstairs and play harps or they've got a big sword and they go around thumping demons and stuff. That's generally the two pictures that we get of angels. But actually, Revelation is very clear. The book of Revelation, it teaches us that angels are priests because they have a priestly function in the tabernacle of God. And if the tabernacle on earth is only a mere copy and shadow and type of the real one in heaven, then all the priests of the order of Levi and of the order of Aaron, well, they are just mirroring and representing the angelic reality that's going on in heaven. If you don't believe me, Revelation chapter four, angels come before the father, the throne, with the lavers, with the incense burning on it. They present it to him. They also uh, uh, place incense on lavers and other stuff as well. And they do lots of praise and worship. Um, And you might think, well, what about the warring warrior angels? How does that all fit into this? Well, I don't know if you know this, but some of the people of Levi were chosen to be the temple guard so they had to guard the tabernacle and hello yeah so they had to guard the tabernacle and guard the presence of god which is what angels do as well they are there are warring angels that literally protect god's holiness and protect the tabernacle the true tabernacle in heaven so everything you see in the book of leviticus and how the temp, the priestly system works and in first and uh, first chronicles that is a mirror of what's going on in the heavenlies so angels aren't just these guys that just beam around doing our beck and calling, as we like to think, or certainly some sections of the charismatic uh, movement, but actually angels have a really important priestly function in the heavenlies. Now, you may not have thought about that, but again, if you read the book of Revelation very carefully, carefully, you will see that they have a priestly function before God, and Jesus is this high priest. But what's happened now is it's like, hey guys, we've got some more priests that can now enter into this. Now through what Jesus has done, now that he's given us the power and authority of his name, we, now Jesus is the high priest, that we can now make petitions directly to the Father as a priesthood, as a holy nation, as a royal priesthood. That is now what we have. So we can come with the angels. And again, if you look in Revelation, it talks about the saints and the angels worshipping God and offering up prayers and offering up incense because we now have a a priestly function with the angels. I don't know if you've ever seen or thought about that before, but it just makes the tabernacle in heaven seem so much more real when you see it in the light of the shadow of the Old Testament tabernacle. Amen. 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 What was he saying? All right. So now Jesus is our high priest. Now, when we use terms like high priest, we often forget. We just get so blasé with these terms. Oh, it's just a high priest. The... uh, was it? Kohen Haggadol. So in the Hebrew, it's Kohen Haggadol, which means the loftiest and most elevated priest. So it doesn't mean high priest as in, oh, it's just a title. It means his rank. It means he is the highest 
elevated, most important priest in all of heaven. Okay, that's Jesus' function, which means if he's a high priest, there are lower priests. Okay, and Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek forever after the order of Melchizedek. So he is like a, he sits at the right hand of the father. He's eternally a high priest and the angels were priests underneath him. But now we come into this covenant with Jesus and through the power of his name, we can be priests unto our God as well, which I just think is amazing. And earlier on this morning, I was, uh, this afternoon, I was speaking about how we are the bride of Christ, which is this wonderful mystery, but also how Jesus doesn't just want us to be the bride, but he wants us to have a part to play in heaven, that we have a role and we have a function, not just here on the earth now, but also when, we, when we're in heaven as well. And it excites me. I, I, I think it's amazing. Anyway, hold all that in your mind as we now turn to a scripture that was read out earlier, which is in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Joshua 1, verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to act in accordance with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Now, up until that time, that's all that was written was the, was the Torah. But now we have later on, it became the Torah and the prophets, the Torah, the prophets and the writings. Now it's the Torah, the prophets, the writings and the New Testament. OK, so in those days, all they had was the law of Moses. So we can now say we can widen this up, saying um, uh, only be strong, courageous, be careful to act in accordance with all the law of Scripture commanded you and do not turn from it to the right or to the left so you may be successful wherever you go this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth you shall meditate on it day and night and you shall be uh, so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it i love i love this book i love the opening passages where it also says you know wherever you step i'll give this land into your hands so be strong and courageous and i feel like through just looking at this little bit of theology here, that as priests, and as you have the power of the name of Jesus at your disposal, which was, is a relative, still a relatively new thing, it wasn't done in the Old Testament, it only happened at the point of the new covenant, now you have the power and the authority of the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So the question is, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to be brave and courageous and do exploits in his name, for his name, by his name, through his name? Or are we going to do something else? Now, I, I believe in it, as I'm reading this scripture here, I get this really strong sense. Be strong, courageous. You shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Now, when Joshua was about to go over, um, over the river, which river was it? Is it Jordan? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's Jordan. Is it Jordan? Yeah, I think it's Jordan. Well, who went first? The priests. The priests went over with the ark, which was the presence of God, and the waters held right back further on down the, down the line. So that, sorry? Euphrates, is it? I thought it was Jordan. It is, I think it's Jordan. So they, they go across the Jordan. But the key thing is here is that it was the priests that led the way. 
And it was the priests carrying the ark aloft, which is the actual manifest presence of God, into the promised land. And they all followed the priests and they went into the promised land. Jesus is our high priest. You and I are priests. And Jesus is wanting us to follow him, which is the manifest presence of God, into our promised land. Every one of us, now you might think, oh, Chris, this is just so cliched, so corny. This is the thing that charismatics always say all the time. But the scriptures are clear that you have been destined for good works in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the earth. Amen? Everyone in this room, you've been predestined for good works uh, before Christ was born, before you were born. So what does that mean? It means that every one, of he- every one of you here counts. Every one of you matters. Everyone has a destiny in the things of God. But... You might think, but, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a little old lady that, that sells pegs in, in Wickham or something. No, no one here sells pegs. You might just think, oh, I'm just a little old lady that sells peg, pegs in Wickham. What, what could I possibly do for Jesus? How could I possibly change the world for Jesus? And I love that story of Ruth, uh, the Moabitess girl. You know, she comes into, she follows her her mother-in-law and she comes into Israel and she becomes one of the Israelites and uh, she just marries this old dude called Boaz. They have kids. They have a very normal domestic life. Yet through her faithfulness to her mother-in-law and through her kindness to her and through following her mother's advice and walking and learning the ways of the God of Israel, she ended up through her and Boaz giving birth to the, to the great granddad of King David. But she didn't know. She, she wasn't like the, the next Billy Graham or anything like that. She was just going about her everyday life. So my point is that sometimes you could be that little lady, old lady in Wickham selling pegs, but you can still do amazing things for Jesus just by simply being obedient to him, by being kind, by praying and doing whatever the spirit and the scriptures are telling you to do, go out and do it. You have no idea of the ramifications of a little thing can do to so many people. I know countless stories, well not countless, but I know quite a few stories of how somebody has done something seemingly insignificant, a random act of kindness or something, which changed someone's life, which then changed their family's life, which then went on and on and on and on and on. You know, they all love that story about how Billy Graham became a Christian, you know, and it was all to do with Mordecai Ham, and, and he came into a tent crusade or something, and he got saved, and blah, 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 and that's how Billy Graham got saved, you know, all these kind of things. But there, there is truth in that, in that every one of us, we carry something, Oh, this is what God wants to say. In the, in the, when the priests carried the manifest presence over the Jordan River, it was the priests that carried the manifest presence of God. Guess what? Just came to me then. You're the priests and you carry the manifest presence of God. You, you are like arcs. You are like an ark of the covenant because in the ark of the covenant, what was in the ark of the covenant? Yeah, a staff. What else was in there? Anybody else? Sorry? Yeah, the tablets. Yeah, tablets. Sorry? Ten Commandments. The law was in the Ark of the Covenant. What's the new covenant about? The law being inside of us because now we are the Ark. We are like little mini Ark of Covenants. We carry the manifest presence of God. We have the law written in our hearts. We have the word of Christ living inside of us. We literally have, and we have a a, a job to show the world the mercy seat of God, the ministry of reconciliation to the world. 
All right, so there's your little revelation for the, for the day. I'm an ark for Jesus, okay? You are all arks because you are all priests. You are carrying the ark of God and you are literally carrying the manifest presence of God. Now, let's, let's look at what's in that ark, shall we? So we know that there's the tablets, which is the law. So God's now written his law in our hearts and on our minds. What else was in the ark? Manna. Bread from heaven. You have eaten it tonight. That's inside of you right now. Hallelujah. So you've got, you've got the manna inside of you. What else was in there? The staff of Aaron, which was, which, which was to prove his um, authority as a priest. But now in our ark, we have the staff of Melchizedek because now we have a different high priest. But that shows the authority that he has and that we now have through him. All right. So. Isn't that amazing, that little revelation there? That you, as Ark of the Covenants, contain the Word of God, literally, bodily, inside of you, as in through His Spirit. You actually have the bread of heaven inside of you, and you have the Word of God, and you have the Aaron, the star, Aaron's staff, which shows your priestly authority as well. Isn't that awesome? Thank you. <laughs> that's like, that's, that's just, you know what they trace? Yeah, it's a good bit of Holy Spirit revelation there. That's why I like preaching on the fly, because this stuff just dumps into my head and it's like, that's so cool, because I didn't make that up. That's literally from God. Hallelujah. Which then takes us to that other scripture in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Who would have comprehended that little revelation? That not, I mean, I've, I've never heard that before. Where it's just like, we are all arcs of the covenant, walking around with the presence of God inside of us. We are priests and we carry it. Hallelujah. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are so beyond our thinking. You know, we get so bogged down, don't we, in, a, in our own human way of looking at things, especially with Scripture as well, don't we? That's why we argue about Scripture, because we're looking at it through very human eyes and through our very own human way of looking at things. And we're not seeing God's perspective. One of my favourite Jesus movies is Jesus of Nazareth, the one that was done in the 70s. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? But the bits that I like was the conversations that Jesus has. I mean, I don't know who wrote the script, but they really were inspired. They were talking about, Jesus is talking to the, the rabbis about the Torah. And, and he's saying, your interpretation of it isn't quite right. He said, because the Torah is living and therefore it's moving and it's breathing. And, and, and he's not saying it's not changing but there's something about it that's alive and therefore you must apply it in a way that's living and active. And it's like, obviously Jesus never really said that, but it, in the Jesus of Nazareth film, it portrayed Jesus having a, another way of looking at the Torah, which you can see from his own teaching. It's not, it's not that he changed it because he didn't, but he has a bigger perspective on it that not even we do. I mean, he makes that clear when he says, hey guys, you know what it says in the law, if you commit adultery, you know, you're in trouble. But even if you as much as look at someone with lust in your heart, you've now committed adultery. The fact is that was always true. It wasn't something Jesus just added. It was always a fact. But Jesus just made it clear because he's saying, guys, you are not thinking the way I think. You are not seeing things the way I see it. You're seeing things the way you would like to see it or the way you think you understand. God's ways of looking at his word are so much more and beyond that. Hallelujah. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Now, be strong and courageous, for you shall put this people in possession of the lands that I swore to their ancestors to give them. And this is what our role is as carriers of the ark, 
is that actually our responsibility is to enable people to enter, to gain possession of the promised land. So that's through the ministry of reconciliation. That's through the ministry of, of telling people about Jesus and bringing people to salvation because salvation leads them to the promised land, right? Which is, you know, ultimately will be in heaven in the kingdom of God. We have to bring the message of reconciliation. Blessed are the peacemakers, you know, for they shall see God. We have this whole ministry that God has entrusted to us. And this is why Jesus is so emphatic. You can't gossip, you can't slander, because, you know, you've got to be careful what you're saying and what you're speaking forth about other people. Because, hey, let's, 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 let's be honest with ourselves. How many of us a long time ago were not really nice people, even as Christians? Some are still not very nice, I don't know, but, you know, but hopefully throughout time we've, we've, we've gained something in the knowledge of God and we're changing and we're transforming and we're going from one degree of glory to another. So when you look at your brother and you judge him, A, Pete James makes it very clear, so if you judge your brother, you've made yourself the Torah giver, i.e. God, sat on the throne, good luck with that. Okay, so if you judge your brother, you are now seated upon the, the throne, which is God's throne, and you are now the giver of Torah. And, and it just shows a complete lack of understanding. And it's like Jesus with the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, Jesus is the one that we believe gave, gave the law, although it says it's ministered through angels, to Moses. And Jesus is now sat there writing on the sand, knowing very well that the law that he is his father's law, because it says that in Psalm 2, okay, it's, his, it's the law of his father, and, and he's like writing in the sand. He knows that the law of his father states that that woman should be stoned for what she did. But then Jesus brings a whole nother angle to it because he understands something that people haven't understood is that if you want to come to the road, if you want to come before the law, you must first of all come through the mercy and the goodness and the kindness of God. Where is that in the Bible? Well, when Israel was stuck in the land of Egypt, they had no way of saving themselves and it took the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God to take them out of the land of bondage, bring them into the wilderness and then present them with a covenant. And then through love they said, yes, we will accept the covenant. And then God, through that love, then led them to the law. And so when Jesus found this woman, he says, where, where are your accusers? Because they'd all gone, because he, you know, and, and, uh, and, he, and, and he said, I don't accuse you either. Now you think about that. I, my father, who gave the law, and I'm here on the earth as a representation of my father, I do not condemn you. But then what he says is quite clever. He led her to the love of God. And then he says, now go sin no more. But the way the Pharisees were using the law was like they had no compassion. There was none of this, none of this, you know, you know, the, the, the lost children of Israel, you know, slam them with the law. But there was no of the compassion. There was nothing of the understanding of the heart of God towards people. Like Jesus said about the Sabbath, he said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. You know, there are conditions where you are actually allowed to break Sabbath i.e. to help somebody, to save somebody. There are even, there are even times in, if you, were, if you were a Jew back in the day, where you were allowed to eat something unclean only if it put your life at risk to not eat it, yeah? So because the commandment is basically, the commandment is, is there to help you and to assist you and to grow you, but it's like what Jesus said about King David. He came and ate the showbread. No one's allowed to eat that but the priests. 
But because of their need and their hunger, the compassion of God was greater than, not the commandment, but the commandment was, uh, if you like, could be used in a different way so that they could be blessed by the hand of God. And Jesus was showing that as he ministered to that woman, showing her the, the gentleness, the compassion and the kindness of God. But through that, then led her back to the law of God. And that's how it should always be. So that's when you go on the streets with your placards, you know, banging all non-Christians, saying you, you lot, you know, turn or burn sort of stuff. It's not helpful to them because that's not how God is. Because God always wants you to, he wants the people to see the compassion and the long suffering of God, that that comes to the place of repentance, that then we can take them to the place of covenant, that we can then take them to the place of the law. Yeah. But, um, Ezekiel um, 18, 21. Uh, God really wants everyone to be, uh, even wicked people, he wants them to turn away from the wickedness so that you will be, he wants everyone to be saved. So if they'd been, been scourged, you wouldn't have been able to repent and again yeah restoration that's what god wants to bring restoration so that's pretty much all i think we need to say tonight i'll just recap what we've said so john 16 at the vert now because of the new covenant they can now use the name of jesus in a way that they could never have used it before which now gives them the right as priests to come before god because now in hebrews 8 jesus is now our high priest um, we've learned from joshua 1 6 that um, you know be courageous go in and take the land and we know from the book of joshua that it was the priest that carried the ark aloft into the into the land and so our job is that we are priests and we are ark bearers and we are arcs ourselves containing the manifest presence of god so that we can lead the people into the promised land and that's what i feel god is wanting to say to you tonight and that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts and that we need to see things from a greater perspective beyond how we look at scripture it doesn't matter if it's the old testament or the new testament we can we can be um, equally legalistic about the new testament as you could about the old you know there's 1100 there's 1400 odd commandments in the new testament you could be i've known people to be really legalistic about it and i just think god wants us to have a a greater understanding and a greater appreciation for his word a love for his Torah in a way that we've never really probably seen before. And we really need to cry out for God to give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation because he's now written it in our hearts and on our minds. It's now alive. It's a living thing that's within us because the word of God is living and active. Hallelujah. Blessed be his name. And we now carry the word of God, Jesus Christ, the immortal, the invisible, the great, holy, mighty God. He is alive within every one of us. And we are bearers of the manifest presence of God. So let's go out out there let's take the message to the people let's show the love and the compassion and the kindness of God let's lead them to the covenant of God and lead them to his beautiful holy law that they may learn to be holy just as the Lord their God is holy hallelujah that they can then lead their family and lead their friends and family into the promised land as well Lord Jesus we thank you Lord God uh, for your word Lord just pray you bless us with it Lord God pray that we'll walk away with those revelations Lord God that we understand something else of who we are in you and I pray you bless all these good people here tonight Lord Jesus watch over them bless them and protect them and may they be Lord God an ark of the covenant to lead many people into their promised land and we ask this in Jesus name Amen, Amen.